are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You look eager. You look like to me you're saying, all right, we're ready. We want to dig in. Is that what you got going right now? Okay, so here we go. You remember we started last week this series, World Upside Down, and, and we talked about how that Jesus not only envisioned a new kingdom coming to earth, but the fact that it's already happening. It's already here. And so until Jesus, people thought the first would be first and the last would be last. And Jesus said, no, in the kingdom of God, the first is actually last and the last is going to be first. And so Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, things are kind of upside down. So until Jesus, people had the idea that the greatest among you is kind of like the greatest, the most successful, the the wealthiest. And Jesus said, no, actually the greatest among you is the one who serves. And Jesus kind of began to think in terms that the kingdom of God, things are different. They're kind of upside down. Um, It's the idea that in the kingdom of God, if if you really want to be blessed, it's more blessed to give than it is to like receive. That's where blessings come from. And so we find ourselves there today. We live in a culture that says, blessed are the strong, blessed are the bold, blessed are the assertive, blessed are the aggressive, the people who just get up in the morning, get out of bed and say, I'm going to go get mine. They're blessed. But, but Jesus says, no, in the kingdom of God, it's very different. And again, he gives us this upside down way to think. And Jesus doesn't say blessed are the bold and the aggressive and the assertive. Jesus says blessed are the meek. Now, do you know what that's all about? Because if, if you feel like, Rick, really I, I don't. I mean, if, if the person sitting beside me said, explain all of that to me. I don't know fully that I could. Then here's what I'm going to challenge you to do right now. Here's what you got to say to yourself. I am not going to leave this place today. Until I understand fully what Jesus meant by meek and what he meant when he said that the meek are blessed. So I'm not walking out any door of this room until I have engaged in a conversation with Rick and I can answer those two questions really well. What does Jesus mean by meek and why does he say they are blessed? So I preached a series a few months ago and we named the series one word, with, uh, W-I-T-H. We borrowed the name from a guy named Sky Jatani who wrote a book called With. And, and the premise of the book is that he talks about imagining what life is like when you experience life with God. Like, like all of your life is lived with God. He's not talking about just like being in conversation with God at times or kind of being in communion with God at times. He also is talking about aligning your life with what God desires. So it's not just being with God, but it's being with God. You know what I mean? So you and I could be in my car driving down the street and, and we're with each other. We're in the same car together, but we, we disagree sharply about an issue we're discussing. So I would say in that moment that you're with me, but you're not really with me. So Jatani is talking about not just being with God, but being with God. 
And he says the problem is that people often settle for a substitute form of Christianity. And the reason they settle for a substitute form of Christianity is because they're not ready to be with God. They're not ready to align their lives with what God desires. It's kind of like I want to be with God, but I don't want to really be with God. I want to, I want to go to the church and hang out with God's people. I like being in that community. Um, I want to be able to talk to God if I get in trouble and get some help. Um, but I'm not really ready to say, okay, God, you know, you've got full control of my life. And so I guess I'm going to have to settle for like a substitute form. So it's, it's like this. When, when God and, and me, we're not together on something, you know, like I know God wants me to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Or if God is saying, you know, I really want you to walk away from this and avoid this. And I'm going, but I, but I want to be there. It's really hard to pray. Because it feels fake. It's like, well, what am I going to say? He knows I'm not with him, you know. What do I do? Just like ignore that whole deal and talk about other stuff. And so it's really hard to be with God when we're not with God. And so he says, we settle for substitute forms because we're not ready to be with God. We're not ready to line our lives with him. And so this feels way too personal. And I get it. I know. But here's my, here's my struggle, okay? And you have to understand as a pastor, a preacher, I want so much for the sermons to like connect with you and really mean something to your life today. So if I don't ask these kinds of questions, I don't think it happens. So just here you are sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and here's the question for you. Is there anybody that would say, Rick, I'm pretty well aligned with God on a lot of areas of my life? I mean, in this area of my life, I'm, I'm with God, you know. With this area, I'm, I'm with God. But, but this area, I'm kind of holding on to. Haven't surrendered this area to God. And so I'll, I'll go for low-hanging fruit to give you an example, okay, money. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with God on a lot of stuff, but boy, the money thing is, that's a tough one. And, and I don't think that I've really said, God, you can have control of, of money. Or, or maybe it's a, a relationship. And you may be saying, money was easy for me to give over to God. That's not a problem, but there's, there's a relationship with my life, and, and, and I know that God has an opinion about this relationship, but man, I cannot walk away or do what God's asking me to do. I'm just holding on to that. Or whatever you're being tempted with to say, God, I can let you have control of a whole bunch of my life, but this area right here, I'm really struggling to let go of. What, what, what would that be for you? Or is there an area for you? So, there's a guy that I love to hear preach. His name is Andy Stanley. He's, he's much better than me, I'll tell you. Okay, you ought to listen to him. He's, he's great. And, and, he, and he coins these lines. And, and when he does and he says them, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. You know, that's so good. And here's one of those lines. He says, following Jesus. And when he says following Jesus, he means like following Jesus, like life with God. Okay, he says, following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish I would have thought of that? Following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. 
And I'm like, no doubt, because I've known a lot of people who have begun following Jesus, and all of a sudden, their life got better, and they got better at life. And so I said that so I can say this. What if, what if, okay? What if this is true? What if the God-controlled life is the blessed life? And I believe it's true. The God-controlled life is the blessed life. It's like no other. And, and I chose words carefully, not because they're my words, but because this comes out of the Scripture, and this comes out of a definition we're going to gain in a moment. But, but I could have used other language like saying the person who lives their life according to what God desires, that's the blessed life. Or I could have said something like a person who does what God wants them to do and avoid what God wants them to avoid, that's the blessed life. I chose this language for a reason. You'll, we'll get to it in a minute. But it's, it's this idea that the best life you could ever possibly live is a life where you say, God, I'm giving you the controls. We're doing it your way. And everybody in the room, everybody in the room thinks the same way. We all want to live the best possible life we can live. And that's a hands down. We're all looking for a good life. Nobody wants to say, I got given this life and I just kind of blew it, made a mess of it. Nobody wants to say that. Everybody wants to say, I, I lived a good life. I, I did, I had a great life. So imagine with me that Jesus is with a crowd of people, about like this. Look around a little bit, will you? Okay, so he's a crowd of people. And uh, he kind of slips away. And, and he's down, you know, by the Sea of Galilee on the shore. And he starts walking up a mountain path, and he gets up onto a mountain. And from that mountain, he can see all the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. I've seen it. It's wonderful. And when he gets up into the mountain, he turns to find his disciples who followed him. And so he sits down, maybe on a rock. And his disciples are all standing there, and he begins to teach them. Because that's the way it was. In those days, when a teacher taught, the teacher said, everybody else stood. So would you guys stand for the rest of the sermon? No, I didn't think so. And so he teaches his disciples, and he teaches the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude means blessing. And in these phrases that I'm going to share with you in a moment, they hold the key to a full life. If you're looking for a good life, pay attention when I read these words in a minute because in these phrases, you're going to find the key to the blessed life and the best life possible. So here we go, okay? Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, right, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down, right, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. The Beatitudes, or the blessings, he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is a person who comes to the end of their rope, who realizes they can't save themselves, and they need God desperately. He said that person's blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and blessed are those who mourn. And within the context, he's probably referring to people who mourn about their sin. I'm really sorry for the sin in my life because they will be comforted. And then today we're going to focus here, blessed are the meek. And what does he mean by meek? And why does he say they're blessed? For they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he concludes by saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Have you ever heard of Samuel uh, Bingo? So, you ever have that moment where you think, I don't think I got his name right? Bringle, Bringle, B-R-E-N-G-L-E, Bringle. So, I, I never heard of him, but a friend said, have you, have you heard the story? And I said, no, I haven't heard the story. So, he's a young guy, lives in the 1800s, the late 1800s, and he's full of promise. He has a call to ministry. After his education, he goes on to seminary. He's preaching places, and he's gifted. When he gets out of seminary, he's a young man. He's offered the largest Methodist churches in the United States in that day. So he's, he's, he's the child of promise. What he doesn't do is accept any of those pastorates. Instead, he gets on a boat. He sails across the Atlantic from the U.S. to England to become part of William Booth's Salvation Army. So Booth had a ministry to the down and out, the addicted, the poor, the hurting, the forgotten. And Bringle, like others, said, I'm going to give my life to that ministry. It, it's interesting because when he gets to England and he meets the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, and he says, I'm here at your service, Booth thought, I, I've heard a lot about you. I, I know your reputation. I know how sought after you were to pastor large churches. And I think you might be a little bit of a danger or a threat because I don't know that your ego is intact. So he gave him the job of polishing boots of other trainees. That was his role with the Salvation Army. You're going to polish boots. So one day he's praying and he says, as he's polishing boots, he says, God, did I cross the Atlantic to polish boots? And he said, in that moment, it's as if I had a vision of Jesus bent over rugged fishermen washing their feet. And I remember whispering to God, if you can wash their feet, I can polish their boots. 
You won't be surprised to hear that he is promoted through the ranks of the Salvation Army all the way to the rank of commissioner. He is recognized in the Salvation Army in the later years of his life as the prophet of holiness. And when someone asked him, what is the secret of holiness? Here's what he said. Keep in the will of God. In other words, live a God-controlled life. Whatever God asks you to do, do it. Whatever God asks you to avoid, avoid it. Obey, he says, God. And I believe it's in that conversation that we begin to answer questions like, what does Jesus mean by meek? And what does he mean when he says that the meek are blessed? So if you and I just like open a dictionary and say, you know, let's talk about meek because honestly, meek is a tough word. And nobody's really excited about wearing the, you know, label of being a meek person. Like, I don't know how many resumes have crossed my desk since I've been a pastor, and I've never had anybody list on a resume, one of my personality traits is meekness. Never, ever had anybody do that. And so if you look in a dictionary for a definition, or you begin to look for synonyms, you'll find words like humble, and gentle, and mild, and patient, and submissive, and compliant. And, and it goes to kind of a negative place like spineless, overly submissive, or you'll read phrases like um, not quick to, um, to argue or even to complain, uh, not wanting to enter into, uh, you know, a fight with anyone. But then when you look at what is the opposite of being meek, okay? So that would be a person who is arrogant, authoritative, controlling, domineering, overbearing, is there anybody saying, you just described my spouse to a T right there, or my in-laws? You know, that's, okay, full disclosure, anybody willing to lift your hand and say, as you're reading that list, I thought of somebody, anybody willing to, okay, yeah, I bet you did, I, I kind of did too. And so, one of the struggles we get into is trying to understand, well, what was the meaning of the word when Jesus used a word that gets translated in to the Greek language that we translate into the English language, meek. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. I, I coached soccer for years and years with my girls. Um, I'd had this gig where I worked a lot of weekends and, uh, you know, preaching on Sundays. And so we couldn't do travel teams and we did rec teams. And I coached Brittany and soccer from kindergarten until Brittany began to play high school soccer. I was, I was our only coach until she played high school soccer. And then with Morgan, I coached her all through her life until Morgan, uh, she didn't actually play high school soccer. She was a manager for the boys' high school soccer team, and I think I know what that was all about. But, but I coached my girls in soccer, and I remember one day, um, we had a team, and, and, and I felt like it had a lot of potential, you know, and, and I just felt like if I could communicate, especially when my girls were little, if I could get them to understand every time that ball hits the ground, you decide that is my ball. I'm taking it. You go get that ball, and you take it to the goal. I, I felt like if you could teach a kid to be aggressive and assertive and be a little bit domineering on the soccer field, especially at a young age, you could dominate the game. And sometimes I would convince a child you can do this. Go take every time the ball hits the grass, it is yours. Take it to the goal. And sometimes it was amazing how kids would just, the light would come on and they would score tons of goals. 
I remember one day a lady comes over to me during a game, a mother, and she just says, hey, coach. And I go, yeah, can I talk to you? And I said, I mean, I'm in a game, but what? And she goes, you made three girls cry so far. And you might want to back off. Uh, This is about fun. And then she walks away. And I didn't say it, but I wanted to say it's a lot more fun when you win in soccer. And I think that's what culture says. I don't have any problem being competitive in sports. But I think it's a good example. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. You know what culture says? Those who are domineering. They're the ones that's blessed. You want a piece of the earth? You go get it. You decide it's yours and you're taking it. And while Jesus gives us this, you know, the meek are going to inherit the earth... Culture saying, oh, oh, no, no, no. The meek aren't blessed. Those who are domineering, they're the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who are going to get theirs. And so what do you do with this word that's difficult to translate, okay? And so let's, let's just kind of back up. So words don't have meaning, right? People do. Words change meaning all the time. So um, I'm, not, I'm not really with it. I'm not hip. And when you use words like hip, people know that you're not hip, because you wouldn't say it if you were. But once in a while, I'll get a word, and I'm like, I didn't know, I didn't know that was a word. I didn't know that was a thing. And so you're going to make fun of me right now because this probably was a thing years ago. I don't know. But maybe a few years ago, someone said to me one Sunday, hey, that sermon yesterday? I go, yeah. They go, that was lit. So for me, lit means once you light a candle, that's lit. But they were telling me that my sermon was lit, and I was like, thank you, I think. I don't know even what that means. But then I began hearing people say lit. And so you understand what I'm saying? That word used to mean one thing, now it means another. And so you can't just get a definition and say, oh, that's what they meant by that. You have to ask, how did they use the word? And so Jesus spoke in Aramaic, a dialect of Hebrew. Matthew is given the task of writing it down in Greek. And he's got to find a word that says what Jesus meant. And then we translate it into English as meek. And so you have to go back and you have to say, so what did the Greeks mean when they said the word praus? P-R-A-U-S. And so here's what they meant. Here's how they used it. They talked about an animal that was tamed. So you got, a, you got a horse that's wild. You got a horse that's full of spirit and energy and passion and strong. And someone is able to tame that horse and bring that horse into control. And then all of that spirit and energy and passion and strength is used in a positive way. And so Prowse has this element of self-restraint. Although I have the power at my disposal, I also know when to and how to use it. it. It's like saying that knowledge is knowing what to say, but wisdom is knowing when to say it. Self-restraint, control. However, in the Jewish community, historically, the word that gets translated to Prowse meant something a little different. They, they interpreted it as a person who was able to accept the guidance and the will of God. So it was a person who would say, 
um, I, I'm okay, you know, with what God wants. In fact, I want what God wants. And so it kind of lived in that world of obedience. So prouse in the Greek. Combining obedience and control, obedience to God and restraint, prouse ends up meaning a God-controlled life. And that's what Jesus means when he says, meek. You can't live a God-controlled life if you are the opposite of meek. If you are assertive and aggressive and arrogant and commanding and controlling and domineering, how can you ever get to a place where you lay your life down and say, God, it's all you're choosing? If there is not gentleness and patience and submissiveness and compliance to God. And God says the person who lives the God-controlled life, one day they will reign on this earth with me. I got a buddy named John. And John um, said to me the other day, uh, have you been to Boomtown? Anybody been to Boomtown? Got two is that it, really? 23rd Street. It's an ice cream store. They make, make their own ice cream, and there's probably, what do you think, 20 flavors? I mean, it's just a little slice of heaven on earth. You know I love ice cream. And you were wondering, when do we get the food in the sermon? Because usually he brings up food. But it's, it's, it's like one of the best places I've ever been to in my life. It's just like, oh, this is God. You're, thank you so much for Boomtown. And I'm telling you, Boomtown was booming. I mean, booming. I mean, like, when we left, the line is, like, out the door, you know, and around the corner. We'd eaten dinner with some friends, and the dessert menu didn't impress the guy. And, and he says, maybe go get ice cream. And I said, hey, there's just a new ice cream store around the corner, Boomtown. And we go to Boomtown. And, I mean, it was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was wonderful. Here's the thing about it. My friend John didn't have to say to me, hey, Rick, you should go. How can I convince you to get this in your schedule in the next few weeks? Because this is something I really want you to do. You really need to do this. It was nothing like that. All John did was just talk about his experience at Boomtown like I'm talking about mine. And I had a longing to go. It's like on my mind. We got to get down to Boomtown. In this conversation that I read you a moment ago in Scripture, Jesus never once says, you should be meek. He doesn't say you should do anything. He doesn't say you should have a poor spirit. You should mourn. You should hunger and thirst for righteousness. He doesn't say you should be a peacemaker. They're not commands. They're promises. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's a promise. It's not a command. Well, Rick, do you think God wants me to hunger for righteousness? Do you think God wants me to be a peacemaker? Do you think God wants me to, you know, mourn over my... Yes, all of those. But it's not what he says. He just talks about how good it is. 
And he says, the people who live this way are blessed. And you know what happens inside of me when I spend time hanging around the Beatitudes? I want some. In fact, I want two scoops. I want all I can get. Is there anybody in the room today who would be willing to admit to God right in this moment, Lord, since Rick has been preaching and since we've been hanging out in this passage of Scripture this morning, I want a God-controlled life. I really want one. And so let me wrap up with a couple questions, okay? You're here, you're a believer. You would say, I'm I'm a Christian, Rick, but I'm going to level with you, be honest with you, that there's an area of my life that I'm trying to hang on to and I don't want to let God control. And God's talking to me. Or maybe someone else is saying, I don't profess to be a Christian. I don't, that's not my story. But I like the idea of a God-controlled life because I've been trying and I don't think I'm good at it. And I think that's what's missing in my life. We're going to sing a song and I'm going to ask you just to kind of hang out in your seats for a few minutes and at some point Nick will probably say, why don't you stand with us? But you might think the song was written exactly for the sermon in the series. It really wasn't. Someone stumbled on it. But you got to lean in. Listen closely. God very well could speak to you in the next few minutes. And, and if you want to come forward to an altar to pray, I just need to talk to God about some stuff. I would encourage you to do so. It lives in this world of I want, I want prowess <laughs> in my life. I, I want that level of meekness that says I, I'm ready to surrender my whole life to God. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.